Hey guys, welcome back to You Chat Too Much. This is episode seven and we've got a good one today. Um, Madge, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right, mate. I don't really want to update you on what's happened this week because really nothing has happened. So over back to you. I also have had a fairly nondescript week. Um, I'm finishing off. I've got about three, three days left of hotel quarantine and then I'm going to be a free man. So the next time uh, you hear the podcast or the next episode after this one, hopefully I'm going to have more of a, more of a bounce in my voice after being a free man. Maybe I'll do it outside or something, you know, just because I can. <laughs> I can't wait for that bounce in your voice, mate. No, so do you I'm want not. to introduce our guest today? Yep. Um, so today I, I will let her formally introduce herself, but we have one of our very good friends, uh, one of our work colleagues. Um, she is also a, uh, a podcast host um, from back in the day. Uh, from the staff room that a podcast that me and her did during the very first was it the first I think it was the first quarantine um but yeah this is Hope. Hope how are you? Hi I'm good thanks I feel really nervous. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I feel like when you get asked to go on a podcast it's because somebody thinks you've got something really interesting to say <laughs> so it's a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah well yeah. Any, anything better than Joe is interesting don't worry. <laughs> but no I'm good I'm also in hotel quarantine I'm on day nine so I also have nothing interesting to report on that front because I haven't done anything for nine days so this is the most exciting thing I've done thanks very much it is, it is <laughs> such a bizarre thing isn't it hotel quarantine like uh, the actual it, concept yeah. of it is just so bizarre it's um, very bizarre. You should do maybe a whole other podcast on just on that because it is the weirdest uh, thing I've ever done <laughs> You, you know that it. film. You know that film, The Room. Is it mm. a room? The Room. I kind of yeah. feel like that. I wonder whether I'm going to get emotionally attached when I leave to the the hotel room. You know, come back so. in a few weeks' time or something. As long as you don't get emotionally attached to that mustache, mate. That's all. That's all we're talking about. <laughs> the rest is fine. Right, Hope. Do you want to? Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, let people know um, where you've been brought up, how you got to where you are now, and. Yeah, just freestyle it to how you want it to be. I can. So I'm Hope. <laughs> I'm currently working at the same school as Joe and Madge. Um, and I'm a primary school teacher. I've been working there for three years, but I've been working in Malaysia for about five years now. Um, ooh, maybe more than that now, getting on. But I also uh, grew up in Malaysia. I moved there when I just turned two and I lived there basically my entire school um school life and kind of moved back when I was about 20 um 21 so yeah spent most of the time in Malaysia but born and spent a little bit of time in the UK as well so interesting question to start off with is that we did an episode about cultural identity episode three and we had a we had a chat about like our, my, our own experience of um culture and how we identified ourselves and then we also did a little bit on third culture kid, kids, sorry. So I wonder if you want to uh, elaborate a little bit more. Do you, did you or do you have, uh, did you have any like, identity issues with where you belong to, which country did you belong to, or have you always knew where you belong? I think this is quite an interesting question because it's probably not something that I thought about until I moved back to England when I was 16. So I think growing up in KL, like growing up in Malaysia, I never kind of felt that ident identity crisis. Like I felt very like I knew where I was from. I knew where my parents were from and kind of at home we, you know, like we had, we did those basic things where we would still maybe eat like British food or we still, you know, we kind of did those things. So I knew very much like where I was from and I was familiar with that. But also having spent so much time in Malaysia since I was young, I also felt very comfortable in their culture and kind of in how they do things and how, you know, places that they visit and things. So I kind of felt very comfortable in it. I never really noticed. I think because I went to an international school as well, where I was surrounded by people who were doing the exact same as me. So they might have been British or Australian and they were kind of growing up in Malaysia. We all felt the same. So I never felt like I was in the wrong place or I never definitely never had that identity 
kind of crisis. But when I moved back to the UK, I was 16 and I'd obviously never, never lived in the UK well, since I was two. So I think that's the first time when I felt that kind of like, oh, like this is really confusing because I am English and I'm living in England. So this should feel really normal and it should feel really easy, but actually it doesn't. Like it's just little things. You have nothing in common with the people around you. Um, I can remember somebody making a reference about um, like TV adverts. And I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that is because I'd never seen it. You know, just like, it's just those little things and people assume that you know it or assume that you understand it because you are English. And so they just kind of assume that you, you know, you understand that, but I spent basically no time in England. So I think, yeah, I mean, little things. I didn't know how to get on a bus. I didn't know how to use bus timetable at 16 because I'd never lived there and I'd never done it. So you feel really, you kind of feel like a foreigner in your own country. Is it, so am, I, am I right in thinking that you, you were in the UK from the age of 16 to 20 then? Yes. So and then you came back and then you came back to Malaysia from then. So in that, yeah. in that short amount of time, uh, you said that you've never felt like you belong. Although your parents are British and you were brought up with British values, I'm guessing that you regularly visited the UK as well in your holidays or, yeah? Uh, and you got family back home as well in the UK. Because even, even when, when you said that going back means that at least the UK was going back to something, right? So how did you kind of, how did you counteract that? How did you, did you ever get comfortable with it or was it always something that you had to deal with? I think I definitely did get used to it and kind of like the last few years living in the UK like it felt like home and I kind of was comfortable with it and, and things like that but I think it just took a lot longer to make friends I think if you make friends with somebody who's only ever lived in England they don't necessarily understand what that transition is like um, so you know it's hard for them to sympathize or it's hard for them to kind of understand where you're coming from because they've never done it you know they've never moved country or they've you know so that that kind of sense of it is quite hard but I was lucky that I had quite a few friends from Malaysia who moved back to the UK at the same time so I think for us that really helped because we would kind of like we were obviously going through the exact same thing and we would kind of talk about it together and be like yeah this is yeah this is quite hard so I think we kind of got each other through it but now I have really close friends that I made since um living in the UK and kind of working in England and stuff but it definitely took that that bit longer to kind of settle in and make friends I think it is just finding that common ground it, it's interesting like um when you're talking about this hope as well because obviously if there's anybody listening that you know isn't from Malaysia um Malaysia is like probably I mean maybe argue like it's it's up there especially in Southeast Asia one of the most westernized places you know, it's a melting pot of all cultures, but the the Western culture and the kind of British colonialism aspect is so huge that, you know, it's not like, you know, I've got friends who teach in Thailand and like all of the signposts are in Thai and menus are all in Thai and you have to ask for like a British one. So you would probably grow up if you if you went to an international school in Thailand, you'd probably grow up and probably know the language more and have a lot more I mean you don't obviously like you said it's it's down to who you have in school but you'd have to understand the culture even more whereas in a sense in Malaysia you don't kind of need to do that because everybody is is everyone has that shared common language which is often English yeah I think it does definitely help doesn't it and you'll probably you know you guys both know that as well from like moving to Malaysia as adults it's kind of quite an, well there's things that are difficult but it's quite an easy move I guess essentially because mm. like you just said everything's in English everyone speaks English it's quite an easy um kind of transition I think it is more I think it's just it's just getting used to something isn't it it's just you know what you're used to I was so used to growing up and I think I was really used to growing up and having friends from all over the world and then I went back to England and everyone was kind of from one village and I was like oh that's really strange <laughs> like I'm not used to that <laughs> um, so yeah you kind of talk a lot about like that idea of um like home and going back home and despite the fact you only actually lived in the UK for two years in your head you still thought UK was home or not yeah I guess it is quite difficult when, when I was little and people used to ask me where I was from, I would say, oh, I'm from Malaysia. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and then obviously I, I got older and you know was understanding like sort of like where I was from and, and things like that and I don't know I'm at the point now where I'm so kind of obviously aside from this I get really over talking about it so when people yeah. ask me where I'm from I'm always like oh England and if they say like oh how long have you lived in Malaysia I'm like oh I've been here for five years working like I get to that point where I'm like I just can't tell the story again because it's just like people are just like find it really odd sometimes and I'm like oh I just it's just easier so when people ask where I'm from I tend to just say England like I just kind of leave it as that but my parents were obviously British and uh we went home we went back to the UK every summer so I guess that kind of like kept that feeling of home so we'd go back and we'd um, like stay with family and I'd see my grandparents and things like yeah. that but I guess it's those trips that kind of made me like feel like England was still home yeah yeah you said you you came back when you're 20, right? And I think you stayed you've stayed here since. So coming back at 20, what was that feeling like? Because you've spent what four or five years in the UK in your life, but then the rest of the time has been here. So coming back at 20, did you feel like you were coming back home, or did you feel like you were kind of starting a different chapter of life? Or maybe one of the reasons why you came out here was because it might it might have felt weird back in the UK and you wanted to go back to normality. I don't know. I think when I very first came back, I definitely didn't think I was coming back for that long. I was kind of like, oh, I'll go back for a year. Um, I just kind of felt like I still had a bit of like Malaysia in my system and I just wanted to like, to like get it out and kind of finish it off. Um, and then obviously still here now. I think once you come back, once I came back, I did just, just kind of feel like, oh, I'm at home. Like it's nice. And I'm really lucky. I still have some friends from um obviously I've got all the friends that I've made since working here but I've also got some childhood friends that are still here and that kind of makes it feel like home as well mm. and because my parents are obviously so familiar with Malaysia they come out well pre-COVID they normally come out to visit quite a lot and that it, I don't know it does kind of feel like home and it feels really comfortable and I guess I'm kind of back in that routine that I've been in my whole life where I live in Malaysia and then I go back to the UK in the summer yeah. and I live in Malaysia the rest of the time when I go and I do that trip every summer. I literally feel like I'm still doing that exact same like pattern that I've always done. So I guess that feels really normal as well. Yeah, I guess for, for you and me, Joy, it's a bit like opposite in it. Like where we had our sense of belonging being in one place in the UK and then now we've come to a different country where Hope's kind of had her sense of belonging in Malaysia but then came to the UK but it's just the difference in terms of like nationality and, and where you belong. You wanted to say something? Yeah, I mean, well, on that point as well, I think it's interesting the emphasis we put on like home, because for me, like when, when I moved to Malaysia, I, I looked for a school where I was going to be for, for like a longer period of time. So, you know, for international teachers, when they go to the Middle East, it's quite common that you maybe do one to three years max, you know, unless you, you really love it and you, and you find yourself enjoying it so much that you might stay for longer. But, you know, it's quite common you have one-year contracts. When I came to Malaysia, it was a longer contract and that actually sold it to me even more because I wanted to make it feel a little bit more like home. I didn't want to have that kind of transient, you know, mentality where, I was going to live out my suitcase for a year and then, and then leave, you know, like I remember going to Ikea in the first few weeks and being like, Oh, I'm actually going to buy nice things for the house because I'm not going to be leaving. So we always search for that sense of, of home, don't we? Um, and that's, I think that's separate then to identity because on a very, very small scale, Madge, you spoke about this in, in um, I don't know whether it was the identity or the race one, but Hope mentioned there that she, she just then said British. And obviously, you know, for those people who obviously can't see Hope, she is white British. <laughs> so when she explains, oh, I'm, I'm from Malaysia, immediately people are going to look at her and go, really? It, it doesn't, <laughs> I was talking about that before, right? About like, people putting you into boxes. Um, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and so like when Hope says that, that doesn't fit anything that I know. Uh, and exactly. and I, I had a very similar issue in uh, in Egypt, uh, Hope, where they every time I, I went through immigration, every single time they would say, where, where am I from? Yeah. My passport is British. They say, where am I from? Yeah. And then I would say, I'm from the UK. Then they would ask, where are your parents from? And I said, this, they're British as well, but I would have to say Pakistan. <laughs> Until I said Pakistan, they would then ring someone to make sure I'm bloody 
the right person and then they'd clear me every single yeah. time I went to Egypt. And then even when I would speak to the locals, they were like, where are you from? Taxi drivers, anyone? And I, I did the same as you. I just started saying I'm Pakistani. And then it was like, I couldn't be asked to explain all that. And, and, and a lot of the times now, now I change it. I say my parents are from Pakistan. I don't even say I'm British anymore. I just say my parents are from Pakistan. And then they're like, ah, oh. and then they don't even ask me anything else. So I, I, so I whole, whole um, conversation. I don't know if you've ever seen it about where, and it's interesting that you say that where people say, yeah, but where are you from, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you really from? Where are you really <laughs> yeah, really from? That's the really gets extended. Yeah, that's why I got a lot in Egypt. <laughs> but um, I, I kind of said that, it, it, what's interesting is that a couple of our friends got in touch uh, with me and Joe and saying that how that was very interesting and how asking where you're from is one of the first questions that we ask. Because I suggested, and I'm a person who's received it, and you are probably another person who's received it, where you get asked that question so many times, you're just like, why does it matter where I'm from? Because you're making a judgment. And even, even though people, this is, this is what people have started to realise, is that if you actually think about it, and I, I, this is what I'm going to say to everyone, is why is that information really important in the five, five, first five minutes of that conversation? Yeah, you yeah. might say, okay, he's from Sheffield, it's from the UK, or you've got a friend in Sheffield. But if that is the only link we're going to make into the conversation, then our conversation is pretty weak, to be honest. So there's got to be more to that conversation. And to be honest, like now, I, I, I've probably stopped doing it for the past two or three years. And I just let, as I know a person, I will find out where they're from because they'll, they'll tell me at some point or how old they are. All these questions that come up, they'll naturally come up. Um, but it's exactly. so, that's so it's, true and yeah, like, yeah. what I say I can't be bothered to have that conversation it's like obviously with people that I'm friends with and like that I've got to know I will obviously talk about it but you're so right at the start of meeting someone in the first five minutes I'm not in the mood to be like oh, I'm, so, I'm so glad you said that because I've always felt like I'm the only one who's felt that <laughs> I mean I mean Madge you do say that however the first thing you said on this podcast was <laughs> I hope do you want to tell everybody where you're from? <laughs> that, was in, that was in the context of this podcast, though. So yeah, we're going to let him off. Thanks, all. Thanks, all. Don't, don't give, don't give Joe anything. Don't give Joe anything. All right. One of the things um, I, I, why I'm worried about bringing my daughters up on an international scene is, is friendships. And that's basically the topic that we're going to talk about today. And bringing them up as a third culture kid, whether we identify ourselves as that or not, that's up to you, that's a personal choice. But one of the things I worry about is um, whether they're gonna be lonely out here because uh, I don't know from your own experience, Hope, and this, is, this would be a good insight, is that I, I have the, working in international schools, you leave, you don't stick to one place. Like even myself as a teacher, I'm not gonna stay in Malaysia for, for all my life. So I'll be leaving and that means they'll have to leave friendships and start friendships again. So they don't have the friendships that I had that I've had for, for the first 25 years of my life. So I, I, I get the feeling that they're gonna be quite lonely, but at the same time, the one of the best things I think about living an international life is that you have friends all over the world. Um, but having said that, I have also seen it in students that I teach that sometimes um, that can be a bad thing in the sense that they're not very comfortable in, in and by themselves, they're not comfortable within themselves. So the loneliness really hurts them. But on the other hand, you see students who are really comfortable by themselves and then they embrace the fact that they have friendships all over the world. So I just kind of wanted you to kind of just explain and elaborate on that, please. I mean, I think it is, I know exactly what you mean. I guess I'm slightly different in the sense that I stayed in one place. So obviously I was living abroad, but I didn't, I wasn't, tra I didn't move every kind of two or three years. You know, I was at the same school um basically all of primary and secondary so I guess I was in the same place but I obviously had friends come and go constantly you know you'd make a best friend and then she she'd leave or he'd leave so even though I stayed in one place obviously the friends that I made came and went um you know quite often but I I don't know I I kind of disagree in the sense that I think I when I see friends um from the friends that I now have from the UK I think, no, actually, I think my friendships are stronger in a way. I mean, I I still have all of my friends from primary school. I haven't lost touch with any of them. And we still are in such close contact. You know, my friends, uh, my best friend currently, uh, in, who still lives in Malaysia, was my, uh, we met in reception. So when we were four, 
and you know we're still still speak every single day and like you know my other girlfriends and stuff we're in whatsapp groups and we will speak every day if not every other day and they're all from primary school and carrying through to secondary school I don't know I think sometimes because friends come and go you're better at keeping in contact because you know how important that is so you kind of you know you value that friendship even more I think and you you know when it's important to keep in touch and and you know if somebody keeps in touch with you and you keep in touch with them they're a friend worth keeping and they're a friend worth having because they're they're kind of doing the same as you but I don't know I think we have really strong friendships and I think maybe that's because we understand how we grew up and we understand each other I have really good friends that I've met in the UK since working there and they are also really good friends but I have different conversations with them than I have with my friends growing up and I don't know, I think we just all have that same understanding and we can talk about things that maybe other people don't understand. And I think that's maybe made us be closer friends. You know, we, we are, I would say that we are re- we're a really close group of friends. I think, um, I think on, on that as well, and Madge, on your point about your girls growing up is, I think what would be interesting is if you think about our generation growing up in school, I mean, <laughs> me and Hope and, and Madge as well, probably, but we kind of had technology majority of the time, especially through high school. But even at the early stages of high school, I mean, where I live, I was in the middle of nowhere. So we still had dial up internet. And I remember having to like, you know, be at home on MSN Messenger. But then if somebody rang the house, it would cut out. But like, that would be my only way of contacting people. Yeah. I think I think you know your girls growing up you're going to have they're going to have so many opportunities or so many platforms to communicate that like hope says you know it's it's the friends that make the effort to talk to you and you make the effort to talk to um and want to send messages to like those are the ones that you're going to keep in touch with aren't they I think like it is an interesting question though much like you're thinking about your daughters like my mum often says that to me she's always like I, do you wish that we stayed in England and you just grown up in one place where you know like where your grandparents were kind of there and like you had the same friends you know all throughout and I always say no um I just think I don't know I just think I've met so many different people and like you're saying about having friends in different countries, like, you know, I can go to Australia and say with like my, one of my best friends from school, I can go to, back when I go back to the UK, I've got people to see. I don't know, I think, I do totally understand what you mean. And I do think that having friends come and go is really hard. But I also think that makes you a much more, I don't know, I think it makes you a more confident person because mm-hmm. you just kind of, you just deal with it and it's like oh somebody needs come and it's like oh I like them just as much like <laughs> I don't know you just kind of like make new friends it's not that you forget your old friends but you just kind of grow with it and you know new people come and go but I think that's also quite a good life skill yeah yeah exactly what I was thinking I I had uh, my my experience of of this initially maybe was in my first teaching school in the UK and where I live in in Norfolk, there are a lot of army bases, a lot of force, you know, army and air force and uh, bases. And um, we had a lot of a lot of kids that were children of like you know people who are therefore deployed into that base for maybe six months to two years. And it's that same thing that they some of them did carry that thing of um, they didn't make super strong relationships. However, the majority of the ones that I met were actually really confident in groups because they kind of were, they developed that, you know, ability to walk into a room, not know anybody, but just make effort, make friends. And, and I think that's like, these are skills that we try to teach anyway in a, yeah. in a school. The only reason I asked that initially, obviously I'm worried in the sense that I, from teaching, I've been, this is my 10th year now teaching abroad. And I've probably seen like a 50-50 split where the kids who have struggled with it and the kids who have embraced it. And like what you said, Hope, you are definitely one of those that have embraced it and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's the strength of yours. And like you said, it's the skills that you learn in life because friends come and go when you get older. And if you learn that as a, as a younger person, you're going to be able to deal with it um, better when you're older. Um, so I definitely think that if, yeah, if, if my children are on the positive side of it, um, I definitely think that they are they're a better person. And one of the main things is that 
you become more accepting of the world. You, you, your mindset is like that anyway, because you've always been brought up. So that's one of the things I want them to embrace diversity. I want them to embrace different people around the world, know how to leave a country, move to a country and know how to start their own life, whatever they want to do. There's no restriction in, in, in what is called a home. Um, that's what I want. Um, and I think obviously it's going to, what it sounds like from, from your side as well, even though we briefly mentioned it, I think it's going to come down to a lot of my parenting skills and lots of conversations of trying to identify yeah. when, when they are feeling that, or maybe I just send them to you um, like when you they get to that stage. Different because you, you and Pearl from different places as well. So yeah. you've already got, you've already got two different nationalities as well. So you, yours is, they're already growing up understanding like different cultures and stuff because you, you've both got that anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, how do you find, Madge, um, a question to you about friendships? How do you find, you know, managing friendships now? You are teaching, I mean, you're teaching 10 years abroad now. Um, irrelevant of where you see home as, how do you kind of manage those friendships? Do you still have school friends? Do you still have uni friends? So I think... Um, friendships has been my biggest sacrifice me moving abroad. It's the one that's hurt the most. And I think, may, because I didn't know at the time, I think I was quite naive thinking that my friendship was going to stay the same. Um, so, like, just, just to give you a little bit of background, is that growing up, I had a lot, a lot of friends. I used to be out pretty much every evening, social, doing socialising, either through sports or um, not partying. I'm not a party boy. <laughs> um, planting that seed in early um, but yeah I was just out every evening so once like once I was able, once I was able to drive it was basically every night I, I was doing something with a group of friends so I did Thai boxing when I was younger played cricket when I was younger played football when I was younger then I, you had your like work colleagues you had your friends from school college uni depending on what phase you were in so I had a lot loads and loads of friends and that is something that I I felt really comfortable in I don't know how it became such a big group um, but I, I also think that because I came from a really strict background, uh, I was brought up with this in a very strict home. I think my friendships gave me a chance to be myself. It was like that second life I could live outside the home. Um, and I think that's why I cherish the friendship so much. So one of the things like, like we said is that moving abroad, I was hoping that our friendship would change, uh, stay the same, sorry. But I think there's something uh, with some people that when you're not physically there, uh, it's not the same sort of friendship. So it's just like when you come back home, the friendships pick up. They're, I think they're the best friendships where you just pick up where you left. You, that's when you know you've got a really good friend. But I, I really struggled with it, to be honest, Joe. Um, it wasn't such an issue when I first came to Malaysia um, because I was so excited being abroad. Um, I, was, I was all about like trying to get experience and travel and stuff like that where I pretty much didn't really have time for friends at that point. Um, but I think as technology's got better, because that's probably during the time when WhatsApp and FaceTime came through, that's when friendship, when, that's when, when your location didn't really matter anymore. I mean, there's a time difference, um, but it's so, so, it's so much easier to keep maintain friendship. And I think I've talked about this in the last podcast. I think the, my major time when I had to reflect on my life was in Egypt when I was, um, when I didn't really have a social life and I kind of questioned a lot of the things of basically what, kind of the phase Joe's kind of going through now. Um, and I had that point where I was kind of like thinking about friendships, thinking about who I would consider a close friend, who I would consider a friend that's moved on. Um, and I think there was, there was a point when I got married um, in the, I got married here in Malaysia. We went back in the, to the UK and we had, we had a ceremony for my family there and Asian, Asian, uh, weddings are massive right so you, you invite I think I invited about 300 people and <laughs> unfortunately 250 turned up so uh, but <laughs> at least I saved on 50 people right <laughs> but what disappointed me about that was that um, 200 of those were my family like you got so much big big extended family so then I had to then invite my friends and then I was very selective with friends because I didn't want to just invite everyone who are, who are my associates who I just know like a, a couple of years. I wanted to invite those people that mean a lot to me. They either were there when I was young or, the, or who I'd consider part of my development or who I'd consider close. So I did invite quite a few people, but then some of those close people never turned up. 
to my wedding without giving me a reason. And that was the first time that I questioned my friendship and looked at it. Because I was thinking, well, that wedding day means so much to me. And the criteria I set to, to invite them, I did that because I, I want them there. But obviously, a wedding doesn't mean that much to them. Or my friendship doesn't mean that much to them. So that's mm-hmm. when I started the questioning. And, and then when, when I got to Egypt, for example, I, I then had then kind of like, not writing a list, but kind of just reflecting through it. Like I, I wanted to make sure that my close circle of friends, which I reckon I have about eight to 10, which is, I think is quite big for a circle, but I reckon I have eight to 10 people, probably 50% of them are from, from the UK from my time living there. And 50% are probably like, as I've, as I've, progress through living abroad um and those eight to ten people i decided right look i'm gonna i'm gonna try keeping in touch with them more regular but to be honest at the same time that's not what's happened because i've realized that i'm the only one making the effort um and they're not and that could be because they're just really bad at keeping in touch or that they're just not bothered about maintaining that friendship so that kind of really upset me, angered me quite a bit. And uh, in a couple of occasions, I actually spoke to those people and told them, look, I think our friendship's kind of whizzing away. If that's what you want, it is what it is. But if you want to work on it, look, I'm only asking you to like, let's chat once a month. It's not something that I'm asking like a weekly basis or a WhatsApp message every single day. I'm just saying once a month. And especially when, when they've got kids and I want to be part of their, them growing up and them knowing me and I want them to know my kids. Um, so at first I was quite angered by it, but then I kind of got around to the fact that um, I'm comfortable in knowing that I did everything that I can for that friendship, and that's where I left it. So now I've taken a step back from it, and now I have let friendships become what they want to be. And in in a couple of on a couple of occasions, I've had those friends come up to me and say, "Look, I think um, I'm not spoken to you in ages. Everything all right?" And I've told them, and I said, "Look, uh, I don't, I don't." Um, you know, this just shows how much effort you put in into the friendship. And, and, and I get it because a couple of times when I've said that to them, they've just laughed at me and thinking, no, stop being, a, I don't know, stop being so emotional about it and stuff like that. But I think for me, friendships mean so much to me, but it's, it's weird that they don't, it doesn't mean so much to other people. So that's something that I've now come to the stage at where I've let expectations go. Friendships are what they are. And from the experience I've had in Egypt, I'm very, very comfortable being by myself now. So the need of friendships is less and less. Although I still have that core group of eight to 10 that I know that whenever I'm in trouble, or if I ever need a chat or if I ever need advice, I can call them um, and, and they're there for me. I, I've always got that. But out of those eight to 10, I probably say like three to four are the ones who stay in regular contact. Like I would say it, would, it works both ways. Um, and then for now, like coming back to Malaysia, like all my friends that I've got now, um, I get from my sports so playing for the football team, just playing friendlies, playing, uh, socializing in school and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I know. Sorry. I've been talking quite a bit about that, but, um, no, I, I think it's really interesting listening to it because I think it's like just how everybody feels. And I just think you get to that point in your life where you're just like, actually I can't be bothered with this so if you can't be bothered with me then I, I actually I, I don't really have time for it either I think you do yeah. get to that point don't you? it just sounds so petty though doesn't it but I think and, and I think like that's how a couple of my friends took it but I, I but I think like maybe when they get to that stage or maybe they're not at that stage but maybe it was just because of my circumstances as well the fact that I was quite lonely in Egypt and it made me think about it um, and I kind of needed my friends the most at that time. Maybe that's what it was. And like even now, when I've got kids and I've got my wife, obviously, like she, my wife's like my best friend anyway. So she, she, I, a lot of the time I can talk to her about everything. But you spend, you spend a lot of time. Um, now you, you, your priorities change. So you, you, a lot of the time goes towards your family. Um, so less to do with friends. But if I've had a week that I've not socialized with friends. I talked about this in the last podcast uh, about being happy. It doesn't make me happy. So I need, I know that I need one to two days where I'm either socializing, doing something with them or playing sports or something where it's kind of away from the family, away from the work. Um, but then again, I've not really got to a stage where I've had too much socializing where I've gone, oh, it feels a bit too much. 
But then obviously, if I do that, that means I've neglected my family side of things. So it's playing that balance. Now, maybe uh, maybe it's something that happens with old age. I think people, maybe someone who's older than me can say that, that that this is just a natural occurrence and natural evolution of friendship. And this is what generally happens. I, th I think as well that, and, and hope you can jump in on this as well and see whether you agree as well, is I think as international teachers or not even international teachers, just people who, who teach or work away from their, um, what you'd kind of stereotypically say your home or your friends and family back home, is that the friendships that we make, we put a lot more emphasis on them. And I think then we probably then, um, we probably then put that pressure on our friendships even back home. And I think it was actually this summer where, you know, for me, I, I have I have some really close friends at home, but my my circle's very small back home. Most of my friends have, have kind of moved around or, or moved abroad or anything. The only friends I have back home are a couple from a couple from where I used to work pre-teaching, um, and then some uni friends. And I and I kind of said to, you know, I, I say to them sometimes, like, oh, how often do you see this person? Oh, do you like pop around and have dinner with them like you know, every other week or something. And they say, oh, no, like, I only really see them, like, once a month. And I kind of think, well, like, you know, I see I see Madge outside of school. I probably see him at least three times a week. I'm like, I thought we're friends. I didn't know whether we were that good of friends. You know what I mean? But I think as international teachers, we do spend a lot more time together. And then sometimes we take that expectation back home or even with other friendships that we have. Because I think as international teachers, we don't just search for friendships, but we search for like family out here as well, because that's kind of like what we miss a little bit. And I feel I've got, like I said, I've got a small circle back home. I still have some kind of schoolmates, but I never, sounds a bit bizarre, but I, I lived very far. I lived a, a distance away from my high school. So I sometimes missed out on certain things you know, and going around people's homes and things like that. So I probably really made solid friendships outside of school and then going to university. So uni, I've got some really tight friends. And then I would say my next lot of really, really good friends who are, are going to be lifelong friends are ones that I made then in, in Egypt and, and ones that I made here in Malaysia. Um, and I just think that's because you just spend so much more time with them. Um, and, and I think that's fine, but I think it's just about maybe that realization that actually, you know, as long as, as long as you're all happy and you keep in touch and you make an effort to just reach out, then that's fine. And that will happen organically if people want to do it. What do you think? If, like, I completely agree with everything that you said, but the next point is that when you do stop uh, working together and then your friendships now move to different locations, I always tend yeah. to find that the first six, and maybe this is something Hope can definitely relate to, but like the first six months, maybe at best the first year is when you're still messaging each other and you're calling each other. But then after that, that's when it starts dying down. And then even, even, even sometimes if, if you do like, I, I'm saying I've got like three or four of those friends that I'm talking about where we, even though it's been four or five years and we're still in touch regularly, and then we meet each other on holiday or we try to travel together or whatever it is. Uh, that I think for me, I'm quite skeptical in that sense because I've, it's happened so many times with me being international is that I always kind of like, yeah, let's see what happens the, uh, the year after, you know, like I'll put the effort in for the first year, you put the effort in and if it continues, brilliant. We're going to, cause you can kind of identify sometimes early on that, you know what, I really want to be with this uh, friend with this person for the rest of my life because they bring the best out of me. So I just wonder, have you like kind of come across that yourself or is that something that you're starting to realise? Or I think I agree with Joe in the sense that we put so much more emphasis on our friendships when we live abroad because like Joe says, they are our family, um, especially this past like 18 months, you know, because obviously we haven't been able to go back to maybe our home country or anything. So we've done things like Christmas together that we maybe we wouldn't have done we've had like even more emphasis on our friends. And I think that's 
I think personally that's really proved like what good friends the friends that I have here are mm-hmm. um you know I really do love them all my friends at the moment here and I really do value them and I value their friendship and I genuinely think that I wouldn't have got through this 18 months without them because I've you know really that they are really good friends and you know they're always here for me and vice versa and I, you know it's really important but I think I don't know it's like we were saying earlier I think it is just who you keep in touch with and how you keep in touch. Like this summer, for example, I did go back to the UK um, and I had like one reunion of like 10, 11 people, all of us who used to live in KL. Some people had been gone a year. Some people had been gone two years. There was a couple of people who'd been gone like five years and we still keep in touch with them. We'd all met up and we had a great reunion and it was so, so nice. And we got to like reminisce and all the good times and things like that. I think you're right it is it is hard to keep in touch with people when they're constantly going um but I don't know I think you just keep in touch with the ones that are important and you know I think if you think that it's important normally it's it's mutual and they think it's yeah, important let it, well. let it naturally happen more or less yeah I, I think as well Madge I have had that where you know say for example friendships that I had in um in Egypt my first experience teaching abroad, you know, I, I lived with three other, three other guys, made some really, really solid friendships of people now who live in Thailand, um, Scotland, Vietnam, Dubai, and America. And there will be patches of time where I might not hear from them, but then, you know, a WhatsApp group will ignite and then loads of chatter and, and loads of catching up um you know one one um couple that i just went to dubai to see um i hadn't i won't have seen them for since one person's the other friend's wedding in Th- in thailand i hadn't seen them for maybe three and a bit years but instead of it just being like you know a catch-up it it just felt like we were back in egypt again or that friendship was back again and it wasn't just after a day of catching up and reminiscing on old stories, we had nothing to talk about. Just went back to how it would be if I lived in Dubai or if, he, or if, or if they like lived in Malaysia. And I think that's when you start to recognise like proper friendships is when it, when it gets yeah. past just like, oh, reminiscing about old times and oh, like what have you been up to? And then, and then after that, it, it then goes a bit quiet. You know, it's about, oh, no, this is like a proper friendship. Those, you don't, you, you can't predict those. You just got to go with it. Um, just, you know, that's a, t- it's always going to be a tough one with friendships. It's just a learning lesson, isn't it? I was just listening to your example there. It kind of made me realise that something that people might recognise and realise later is that different friendships require different maintenance. So, like, it could be someone who you need to speak to once a week on a FaceTime or a, or a Zoom. And it could be someone who just needs to drop a message or sometimes they're just sharing links or whatever. Um, and I think from that, you can then decide how important those friendships are. If they only require a few WhatsApp messages, maybe that's fair enough for both of you and that's what, you, well, that's what your friendship needs. Where people who you speak to on a, on a weekly basis, maybe that requires a video call and then that, that clearly means that your friendship means a little bit more. Um, so one of the things that we need to do hope is try to find joe some friends even though we're talking about friendship <laughs> so what we're gonna what we're gonna allow him to do is share with potential friends um, right. three different qualities that you really look for <laughs> in in friendships <laughs> okay <laughs> This is this is like an ad for friendship. So I don't yeah. know. I feel like I've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say my my top three things um, is trust. I think I want people that are are going to be trustful and trustworthy. Should I say? And um, just people. Not. I don't. I don't need people to like hold my secrets necessarily. But you know just be there that if I'm going to speak to them, I speak to them and, and it's not, they then tell other people or anything like that. Yeah. Um, loyalty. And I think there's, again, there could be added pressure to loyalty. Um, but it just means that you, you are kind of, I suppose that goes alongside the trustworthiness as well. Um, 
but yeah, loyalty. And then the final thing is, I, I kind of just put it in little uh, quote marks type thing, was just friendship, just to kind of like be somebody who's, who's going to be there to just, uh, you know, just kind of have your back in things, in situations, you know. There's a lot to be said about if you're if you're feeling down in the dumps that they will, you know, send you a coffee like, you know, or they will just reach out with a message. It doesn't have to be anything much, but just, um, you know, just to be there for you. I think that's a big part of like friendships um, and yeah, just to be be there. Hopefully we, can you, you, hopefully we can get you a few more friends with that. <laughs> um, for me, uh, actually, it's quite, quite very similar, to be honest. Um, I would put loyalty at the top, um, and I, I really don't know why. It's, loyalty has been really key to me my whole life. Uh, I think if you got me as a friend, you'd always have me as a friend. I'm loyal to you, so I'd expect, or I, I'd want you to be loyal to me as well. But I think that has also burned me in the past as well. So we're talking about some of these friendships where I've stayed really loyal to my friendships, but then it's not worked the other way around. Um, I always, I always kind of live my life. Like I always treat people the way you want to be treated. And that's where my loyalty kind of comes in. Um, I'd say respect. Um, I, I really value those people who accept, uh, accept everyone and anyone, regardless of your beliefs, uh, your backgrounds, your religions, your opinions. Like, some people are very, like, very dismissive of other people because they think or know they of a certain way, live a certain way. But I just think that if you respect everyone, then other things fall into that, like empathy, integrity, and humility. So I think respect is massive. If I feel that you don't respect someone, or it doesn't even have to be me, like, I'm not talking about respecting me, I'm talking about respecting someone that I don't even know. If your behavior showed that, I would say, like, look, what does that say about you as a person, you know? And I think the last one, um, similar to Joe, when he said the word friendship, I think authentic. Um, I, I like people to be uh, who they are. I like people to be straightforward. So say what you need to say, you know, especially with me, be straightforward. There's no need to like beat around the bush around it about it. But um, I also then feel like sometimes social media can kind of, I don't know, makes it a bit different where you find people to be very different on social media and then be very different to you face to face. So I always feel like the standard I set myself on social media is like whatever I post, whatever I put on there, I've got to be comfortable in saying that to that person in front of them or saying it to, to a group of people in front of them. That's like my criteria. So I think if you're authentic, it shows that you're being honest and being honest means you show vulnerability. A little bit like how we do on this podcast, we show we're being very, very honest with our opinions and our viewpoints, and it shows that little bit of vulnerability. And when we do that, we can all grow and learn from it. Oh, your turn. Advertise yourself. I, mean, I feel like you guys have stolen all the good ones. So, uh, <laughs> Copy I feel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel that 100%. Um, just trust and loyalty are so important. Like you were saying, there's no point in having a friend that you don't trust. There's no point in having a friend that you don't think is a loyal friend, you know, or who isn't there for you and who doesn't respect you. I think respect is a really good one that you said as well. I 100% think that. I think if you can't talk to somebody and tell somebody a problem that you're having or something that you just need to get off your chest and you don't, you, you can't feel like you can tell them without them going to tell somebody else, you know, there's kind of not really any point. And I think like we just said, that last 18 months for me has really like just I think made those friendships even more concrete because you've been able to see those friends that are there for you, that do listen to you and do respect you and vice versa. Like, I mean, hopefully that's how they feel about me as well. <laughs> so I think those, those, <laughs> Joe's saying this because I'm uh, the worst person at replying to a text. So I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably, I'm probably not that good of a, of a friend, but yeah, I think um, trust and, and loyalty and kind of being an authentic person are, are really, really important. Yeah, awesome. thank you so much, Hope, for, for coming on to the podcast and this episode because I really think I've learned a lot from you, you know, especially your experience. Um, I had a lot of questions. You've really calmed me down and, like, kind of looking forward to, like, bringing up my kids on an international scene. I'll definitely, I'll definitely come and find you for some reference points when I'm struggling with certain parts of their life, definitely. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming because I think, I think a lot of people will learn, um, I think, out of, out of three of us, I think your circumstances really uh, focus a lot on the friendship. So I think you were the perfect person for this episode. 
Um, and, and it's really good that one, one thing that I learned from you is that you said that because you were all your friends were in the same situation or circumstances, that then made sure your friendship stayed strong throughout life. And, and then when I look back at mine, maybe my friendships weren't like that. It was just like different phases of life. And, and that's why maybe there were no roots there in the, in the first place. But yeah, I, I really took a, a lot from that. Yes, I'm glad. <laughs> Joe, you want to say something nice? That's, that's, what, you're, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. This is why you're not going to get any friends. <laughs> I thought you just I thought you said it all I didn't want her head to get too big but now I appreciate it it's nice nice oh, to hear your right. soft soft radio radio sound tones on the podcast uh, that's a bit of a weird way to end it right um, right well, see you later guys thank you for, thank you for everything thank you for listening to this episode if you did enjoy it Please subscribe and share with others who you might think it benefits. Um, also, we've got an email address set up now, so do get in contact. The email address is youchattoomuchpodcast at gmail.com. The link is also in the notes of this episode. Um, get in touch and let us know what you think of the episode or the podcast. What did you enjoy? What would you like us to explore more on? Uh, and maybe suggest some new topics, and you never know, you could be on the podcast. Thanks again. Take care and speak soon.